There it is, balloons, baby. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Harsh. Again. Wow, a double dose of balloons to get us started on a Monday edition of the award-winning Midday with Trey and BK. I guess when we've got a Game 7 to talk about, we should have two sets of balloons to start things off. Plenty to get into on a Monday show. Look, we'll, we'll tell it how it is. We're going to spend the vast majority of today talking about two things. Number one, Texas and Houston in football. Number two, Texas and Houston in baseball. That's what we've got going on in the great state, and we're all over both right here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. How was your weekend, Trey? Weekend was filled with sports, BK, both the variety that you get to watch on TV and then also the kind that I was watching and sometimes even coaching in person with three different soccer games, uh, volleyball match on Saturday morning, then, of course, Texas football, the college slate, and then all the NFL games yesterday, and dirty admission time. I did not watch game six live last night. Wow. On purpose, or did you have something? On purpose. I was watching a Netflix show during that time. Too nervous? I just, I yeah, I, I couldn't do it. I said, you know what? If they win tonight, great. I'll go back and watch it. If they lose, not going to be any... Uh, skin off my chest. I'll go back and rewatch the game, which I did over the last couple of hours. And Kevin, uh, our good friend Kevin Dunn, who uh, who obviously knows a lot about baseball, I figured because I had told him as the game was starting that I wasn't watching it. I figured he would go reverse doctor's office on me and give me a call around ten or just after ten if there was good news. And sure enough, that's what he did. When it, I think there was still an out or two to go in the ninth. But after Texas had gone up 9-2, with that explosion in the top of the ninth, he's like, hey, brother, there's going to be a game seven. He's like, I just want to let you know. I'm like, I, if you're messing with me right now, we're not friends anymore. But he wasn't <laughs> messing with me. So there is a game seven tonight. You know the rules, right? Uh, I don't. I don't abide by. Uh, I don't abide by your arcane, uh, arcane superstitions. Oh, I'm the arcane one. Well, if the Rangers lose tonight, we know exactly who to blame. <laughs> this is your fault. You can't watch the game, dude. You can't do it. You got to do what worked last night. It's the first game the Rangers had won in their last four tries. You've got to do what you did yesterday. I we're going to change it up in a major way because I am not only am I going to be watching, but my kids will get to watch beginning to end if they want to, too, which puts them well past their usual bedtime. Mm. So that's how we're changing it up. I don't like it right there. I'd like to congratulate the Astros on another trip to the World Series then. Well, I mean, Christian Javier is pitching for the Strohs, and who knows what Max Scherzer slider is going to look like tonight. So it's obviously an all-hands-on-deck game for both teams. There were some uh, some reasons for optimism for the Rangers last night, other than the final score. Obviously, it looks like uh, a few guys are really starting to get it going at the plate, namely Marcus Simeon, who uh, that really started towards the end of game five. He had a, a hard ball that uh, I think it ended up a, a line out, but they can get Marcus Simeon going at the top of that line, and that's going to help everybody else out, too. Agreed, 100%. Yeah, the Rangers offense got it going a little bit last night. I mean, this was a 3-2 to two game after seven. And then yeah. the Rangers scored one in the eighth, and then obviously the five-run ninth inning, which included the Adolis Garcia grand slam, which, boy, talk about a way to shut people up. I mean, Adolis Garcia was having a horrible night. It was 0 for yeah. 4 with four strikeouts, the golden sombrero, as they call it in baseball. And then he steps up in a big spot in the ninth inning with the game very much in the balance 
and hits a grand slam. That was the dagger into the Astros' hearts last night. You know what they say, Trey? The series doesn't start until a home team wins a game. That's a, a classic baseball. No, wait, no, that's that's not it. This is so weird. But for Astros fans, it's got to feel like bad deja vu, doesn't it? I mean, with the 2019 World Series. And do you know who started Game 7 for the Nationals in that 2019 World Series? A guy by the name of Max Scherzer, who gets the ball for the Rangers. Now, quick refresher, the Astros had the lead in that game when Scherzer left. Uh, Scherzer went five innings, gave up two runs. He wasn't bad. I think the Rangers would absolutely sign up for that tonight for Max Scherzer, considering what he looked like in Game 3. Obviously, the Astros blew it late. The questionable decision by A.J. Hinch to take Zach Grinke out of the game and bring Will Harris in, it did not work. The Nats were able to get to the Astros' bullpen to win that World Series. But, I mean, through six games, it's the exact same thing, right? The the road team has won the first six games of this series just like they did in the 2019 World Series. And the Astros are now 40-46 and at Minute Maid Park this year. They showed the graphic last night, Trey. There has never been a team reach the World Series with a losing record at home. So the Astros, even if they win tonight, they'll still have a losing record at home. They've got a chance to make a little bit of history in more ways than one. But that's what they're facing. Like, the Rangers are so happy this game is in Houston, and the Astros are so pissed that they have to be the home team, which is the most bizarre thing to ever say about a Game 7. Yeah, and look, baseball is one of those sports that very quickly turns trends on their heads. Another trend that I was unaware of until I was reading Twitter a little bit earlier is Bruce Bochy has coached in a number of Game 7s, never lost a Game 7. Dusty Baker has never won a Game 7 in all his time as a manager. So if those all those trends uh, hold true tonight, then the Rangers will be victorious, but I'm not uh, I'm not putting any stock to any of those numbers. Yeah. Every game is its own thing. No, for sure. The good news for the Astros is they've got Christian Javier going. I mean, that guy is awesome. Right. He's awesome in the playoffs. Game three was actually his worst playoff start of his career, and he had a no-hitter through five innings in yeah. Arlington. So I know Josh Young. Yeah, two runs. Yep, Josh Young tagged him with a two-run homer in that sixth inning. Uh, but that was it. I mean, the three other starts for Javier, he didn't give up a run. He was a part of a no-hitter in the World Series last year. We're talking about a guy who's not going to be scared about the moment tonight. And Max Scherzer's pitched in a ton of big games. He's a future Hall of Famer. Uh, but, you know, in Game 3, he did not look great. Gave up five runs in just four innings of work. Like you said, it's a Johnny Allstaff game. I mean, I think everybody except for Nathan Avaldi is available for the Rangers. Even Jordan Montgomery who pitched game five, like this would be a bullpen day for him. I don't don't think it could go more than one inning, but I think if uh, Bruce Bochy makes the call, I'm I'm sure Montgomery would be like, gosh, hell yeah, call on me. I'll pitch. I'll try to get a couple of outs here. Like everybody except Nathan Avoldi, I think, is available for the Rangers. For the Astros, the picture a little bit murkier. You know, the top of the ninth was huge for Texas last night for a couple of reasons. The biggest reason, obviously, is them putting the game in hands or putting it out of hand for the Houston Astros where you're going 9-2 bottom nine. You feel pretty good about that. But uh, LeClerc had pitched a lot. He had thrown a lot of pitches in the bottom of the eighth, and they were ready to roll him back out there if need be, but they didn't have to, which means that uh, he will likely be uh, pretty fresh for tonight. Also, you know it's a roll of the dice whenever uh, you have to put a roll this Chapman in a pressure situation. But that becomes even more tenuous when he pitches in back-to-back games. So they're getting a very fresh Aroldis Chapman, too, if they need to go to him tonight, 
even if just for a hitter or two. Bruce Bochy and I were simpatico yesterday. Like, to me, that game was just shaping up to be a game that Aroldis Chapman was going to blow. And, oh, yeah. And, like, Altuve or somebody on the Astros is going to get to Chapman again because it was a one-run game, once again, going into the eighth inning. It's like, if Chapman gets this inning, then the Astros are not only tying this, they're taking a lead here, and they're going to get to the World Series because they're going to find a way to win this game. And Bruce Bochy's like, can't do it. So he, he sent Spores out there for a second inning of work and planned on a five-out save for Jose Leclerc. And like you said, the uh, the grand slam in the top of the ninth allowed the Rangers the luxury of bringing in Andrew Haney for uh, for the final three outs of the game. So, yeah, I mean, boy, after game five, it, it just shows you that momentum in baseball, not always a thing because that, that was the groin kick of all groin kicks. And it just felt like even though the series was going back to Houston where the Astros have stunk this year, even though the Rangers won the first two games of this series in Houston, it felt like the Rangers weren't going to be able to get up off the mat with the way that Game 5 went down. Uh, but they did. They did. And now all of a sudden, I mean, there's pressure on everybody. Somebody asked me who is more pressure today. I don't know. There's pressure on everybody. But, uh, yeah, now it feels like, all right, uh, the, the Rangers clearly right back in this thing. One game, spot on the World Series on the line. Any fan of either of these teams would have signed up for this at the start of the season. And here we are tonight. So it's awesome, man. It's nerve-wracking as hell. It's it's way more fun when you're not a fan of either of these teams and you can just kind of sit back and enjoy the greatness of a Game 7. Uh, it's going to be terrifying if you're a Rangers or an Astros fan going through these three to four hours tonight. But uh, what a cool moment for the sport. What a cool moment for the states. And obviously the moment will be a lot cooler for the team that is victorious this evening be a lot cooler if you did. I feel like there's probably a little bit more pressure on the Astros right now than anything, but this is a team that has obviously made it to this point seven straight years, won a couple of World Series in that time too. So they've shown the ability to thrive under pressure, but just considering how bad they've been at home this year and in these playoffs and specifically in this series, uh, that is a, a lot to have to chew on. And for the Rangers, they were left for dead by a lot of people going into last night's game. Now I do realize that both Jeter and A-Rod picked Texas to win that game. So folks did believe that this Rangers team does have uh, a sort of metal, a sort of grit that they've shown throughout the course of the season. And sure enough, uh, those folks turned out to be right. But uh, as we've been saying for the last week now, BK, this is a team that's been playing with found money. And when you're in that situation, then uh, hopefully you can leave it all out there. And a lot of the pressing that we've seen at the plate from some of these Rangers hitters in some cases, are leading the league in important statistical categories are starting to come around for them, specifically Marcus Simeon. Uh, we saw Seager hit a really hard ball last night. Obviously, he uh, took a hard hit by pitch on that lower leg uh, in the ninth inning of last night's game. But even Josh Young, it wasn't a great statistical game for him, but you could see him start to adjust to the game plan that the Astros have had for him all series long. And that's throw him low and away and mix in a lot of breaking balls that he has a hard time uh, staying off of. By the end of last night's game, he was doing a better job of that and drew uh, a big walk in the later innings as a result. And then Mitch Garver was uh, was the offensive player of the game for this team. I know Garcia had the, had the grand slam, but Mitch Garver was really good, starting with the uh, oppo shot to answer the run that the Astros had put on the board the previous half inning. And uh, he ends up with three hits on the night, a couple of RBI, too, and uh, was was causing the Astros pitching all sorts of fits throughout the evening. Yep, and the Astros have to hit six runs in three games at Minute Maid Park in this series. That's, yep. uh, that's, that's got to change for them. So, 
Uh, all right. By the way, this could be Dusty Baker's last game as the Astros manager. You know, really? His contract's up at the end of the year. Lots of talk about retirement. I and mean, people were thinking maybe at the end of this year, regardless of how it ends, he's done. So if the season ends tonight, Dusty Baker's tenure as the Astros skipper could be over. Uh, some Astros fans, I think, would like that, which, you know, must be nice. Must be nice. What's up, CB? Happy National Horror Day to you, too. National Horror Day. Is that what it is? National Horror Day? National Horror Day. Oh. Horror. Horror. He spelled it right. Horror Day. Horror Day, not Horror Day. Those are two very different styles of celebrating. So. I guess it's technically National Horror Movie Day. Hmm. You have a favorite horror movie, BK? Uh, There's a couple that I like. You know, Star Wars is a good one. Good little remake. I've never seen Star Wars, but I have seen Star Wars, if you're asking about horror movies. Um, can't remember the title of this one, but there's a guy who delivers pizza and walks in on a bunch of people getting it on, and he joins in on the fun. It's a little messy, though. Uh, but I, I, I do enjoy that one as well. Um, Perfect Ten. They call that one Do the Right Hole. Yeah, yeah I believe so. Uh, watch the mozzarella, I think, is uh, is the tagline for that. Um, Perfect Ten is a good one. Uh, yeah, I think those those are some of my favorites. You got some? Pretty Woman. Mm. American Gigolo. <laughs> those are the ones? Those are two. Uh, okay. Okay, interesting. Well, happy uh, either horror movie or horror movie. I'm not even sure what it is anymore. All right, before we get to Texas and Houston on the gridiron, because there's plenty to talk about with the Longhorns' victory over Houston on Saturday, let's give some love to some of our great sponsors. We'll start with a recorded spot from our friends at AV Consultations. Hi, this is Tom McKay with Audiovisual Consultations. Scientific data proves it. Size does matter. The bigger and wider your television is, the better. Football season is here, and the time is now to get your entire audio video experience tuned up and ready. New flat screens, projection video, Dolby True HD surround, all the goodies at great prices and followed up with great service. So call us at 255-8678. That's 255-8678. Or on the web at avconsultations.com. Yeah, Sleeping Booty and Grinding Nemo are, uh, are two other solid ones as well that, uh, that I do in- enjoy watching from time to time. Uh, a quick word for our friends at Covert BK. Hey, we'll be out there this Friday. Trey and I broadcasting live another Friday pregame luncheon out at Covert BK. Of course, the Longhorns are back in town this Saturday against BYU, meaning we'll be out at Covert BK this Friday. Still trying to finalize the guest that we'll have out there with us, but there will be free lunch provided by our friends at Verde's and our friends at Smoky Moe's. And we'll be doing our show out there. The Buck will be there. And uh, we'll have a lot of fun Friday out at Covert Bee Cave. Of course, in the meantime, if you're looking for a new or pre-owned car, truck, or SUV, look no further than Covert Bee Cave. Seven brands, three state-of-the-art dealerships, 42 acres of cars, trucks, and SUVs out there. Massive selection, amazing prices, unbeatable service. You know what they say, nobody beats a Covert deal. Not now, not ever. Trade Texas won on Saturday. I feel like I have to remind you and remind everybody else that the Longhorns did actually win their game on Saturday, but it was a pretty uninspiring win for the Longhorns. After a very inspiring start, 
to the game, which saw Texas jump out to a 21 to nothing lead. The Longhorns had to hold on for dear life at the end, and they get the 31 to 24 victory. But a game that looked like it was going to be a beatdown turned into a nail biter. What the hell was that? <laughs> on both sides of the ball. I mean, the offense just completely stagnates second quarter all the way to the end of the game, just about. And the defense turns into a sieve, especially in the secondary. Like, I know the cornerbacks had their issues here and there, but safety play at Texas right now is atrocious. And unfortunately, it's been that way for a while. I know Anthony Cook was decent last year, and Jaron Thompson has had his moments, but it's just a revolving door of guys who have no idea how to cover. And I'm also a little bit bewildered that both Jalen Ford and David Benda have been picked on by the opposing team's passing attack, too, because I felt like they were both pretty good in coverage at that linebacker position. But as a team right now, they need to figure something out because they have lucked out up to this point with regards to facing backup quarterbacks and guys who aren't very good throwing the football. Uh, that's going to change here in a couple of weeks. You can even make the argument that Keaton Slovis, even though BYU's offense has been terrible this year, Keaton Slovis can be a good thrower of the football too. Uh, you've got some tough quarterbacks on the schedule the rest of the way who are going to continue to pick this secondary apart if you don't figure something out. Yeah, it was a collective collapse by Texas on Saturday, wasn't it? I mean, it was the perfect start for the Longhorns. They scored touchdowns on three of their first four offensive drives, and Houston punted on its first four offensive drives texas's first four defensive drives like you couldn't have imagined a better start right there for texas and then just all at once i mean everybody started to struggle together the offense lost its way and the defense just couldn't get off the field now i will give the defense some credit because they had two second half takeaways if they don't have those we're talking about a loss right now and there are way more questions than we have right now and we do have a lot of questions right now but the good news is texas did make a couple of splash plays Jalen Ford with the strip sack fumble, Michael Taft with the interception in the end zone. If those don't happen, then it's a loss because Houston didn't punt the ball after their fourth punt of the game. Like, that was it. It was four punts to start, and then the punter never saw the field again because Houston was having so much success moving the football. But, yeah, I mean, offense and defense and special teams to an extent, they just all sort of fell apart at the same time, and it's why Houston got right back in this football game. Now, the good news is Texas won. Like this, this is a game that some Texas teams in the last dozen years probably lose, right? Texas found a way to get it done. This game was 24 to 24 with like eight minutes to go. Texas got the ball. What did they do? They scored a touchdown. Texas needed one stop on defense. They got a little help from the Zebras on a bad spot on a third down, but they got off the field and forced a turnover on down. So when they absolutely needed to make some plays on both sides of the ball, they did. Where in years past, we were talking before we even got on the air today, Trey, even with Steve Sarkeesian, but especially with Herman and Charlie in the end of Mac, when they needed to make some winning plays in a close game like that, they couldn't do it, and they found themselves on the wrong end of the margin way too often. I will give them credit for at least having the resiliency when everything was going against them, and everything was going against them, most of it self-inflicted, not blaming refs or anything, but when <laughs> shit was going bad, they found a way to right the ship enough to find a way to leave Houston with the W. Yeah, thank goodness they have Jonathan Brooks and C.J. Baxter, who may be as healthy as he has been since the first quarter of the first game this year. It was mostly the Jonathan Brooks show to 
uh, get them upfield for that go-ahead touchdown. But C.J. Baxter has a really nice 16-yard run to get it into the end zone. That kept them from having to lean too heavily on Malik Murphy, who, look, as a backup quarterback, you're always ready to go in because it is it could be that very next play. But he was clearly pumped up because there was a, a lot of speed on both of his throws, and I'm sure the coaches are going to be working with him this week on uh, taking a breath, relaxing, and making sure to take something off of the throws. Because if he's if he's throwing fastballs, if he's throwing Justin Berlander fastballs or uh, Brian Abreu fastballs all over the field, his receivers are going to have a hard time catching the ball. I think we're also going to see uh, an even heavier dose of this rushing attack. Wouldn't be surprised to see both Brooks and C.J. back getting close to 20 carries in this next game and allowing Malik or Arj, whoever ends up uh, starting the game after a week's worth of practice, getting to uh, to do a lot of his throwing off of play action. Yeah, well, since we're talking about that, we'll get back to Texas-Houston here in a moment. But uh, Sark just wrapped up his game week press conference from the 40 Acres today, and he said, quote, Arch and Malik will both get a ton of reps. If the game was today, Malik would start and Arch would be ready to come in, end quote. So uh, that shouldn't surprise anybody. I think the, the writing's been on the wall that uh, Malik Murphy was going to be the starter. There were reports from some of the insiders yesterday that said Quinn Ewers is going to miss two, three, maybe four weeks dealing with an air conditioner joint sprain. Uh, he's going to miss some time. So, yeah, Malik Murphy, I, he's, I don't think there's anything that can happen, barring an injury, I'll knock on wood, that would prevent Malik Murphy uh, starting this game Quinn's not going to be ready and oh, Malik was the guy who obviously came into this game when Quinn got hurt in the second half so it's the Malik Murphy show and we'll, we'll see what he uh, can do for this Texas offense against BYU if one of the two guys is clearly better than the other that being Arch Manning then you do start Arch if that's the guy that you feel gives you the best chance to win but That'd be pretty disappointing if it turns into Arch and not Malik Murphy, considering all that we've heard about Malik Murphy going back to the offseason and him being a part of this program longer than Arch Manning. You know, even though Arch is uh, the guy that gets all the headlines because he is a former five-star recruit that has that Manning bloodline, Malik Murphy was also very highly rated coming out of high school in California, led his team to a state championship his last year in high school. So I think we probably should see Malik for at least part of the first game and if things are going sideways for him early on then you consider making that quick switch yeah all right back to saturday because we'll talk plenty of malik and arch throughout the course of the week as we get ready for next saturday uh the decision that every texas fan has been talking about second quarter texas was up 21 to 7 so they jumped out to that 21 nothing lead houston responded they scored a touchdown but texas gets the ball back they're marching it they're into houston territory again uh, some questionable play calling and questionable execution leads to a fourth down and six. And then Texas brings out the field goal unit, right? Why not? It makes sense. It's fourth and six. It's a 44-yarder for Burt Auburn. He's coming off of a three-for-three three performance against Oklahoma. Hey, tack on to the lead, right? Make it a 17-point game. But for some inexplicable reason, they call a fake punt. A fake punt. A fake field goal where the punter throws it to the kicker and Houston snuffed it out. I mean, Burt Auburn actually made a guy miss, which, poor guy who got juked out by the kicker. That guy should lose his freaking scholarship. But uh, there were three or four other Houston defenders waiting in the wing. They were not fooled at all. That play was nowhere close to picking up a first down. And from that moment on, Trey, I mean, that play shouldn't have been as big as it was. Like, Texas should have been able to stem the tide way more than they were. But just from that moment on, Houston got some life. 
They got some juice. They were able to march down the field and score and get some momentum going into the locker room. Just felt like things changed after that fake field goal went awry. Yeah, I don't understand that play call for a lot of reasons, starting with the fact that it was fourth and six. Like, that's a play call that you maybe go with on a fourth and one or two at most. But to ask Burt Auburn to have to get six yards on that play is asking a whole heck of a lot. And C. Sarkeesian, unfortunately, has a history of trying to get entirely too cute at times. And oftentimes that happens as we're getting close to the ends of halves. And unfortunately, that uh, ugliness reared its head once again against the Houston Cougars on Saturday. And it allows Houston back into the game because they march it right down the field and unfortunately exploit another broken coverage where you see a Texas safety three to four steps behind the Houston receiver. By the way, man, Jack, my goodness, that guy is... Uh, can can we get uh, can we get him to hit the transfer portal at the end of this season and uh, maybe add him to Texas? I'm very impressed by that dude. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it was it was a bad moment in the game, and you'd like to think that, that your coaches are helping your team to win games week in and week out. And unfortunately, we've seen too many examples over these last couple of games of the Longhorn coaches with what they're doing hindering that whole process. Now let's hear from Steve Sarkeesian. This is from after the game on Saturday. He of course, was asked about the fake field goal call, and here's what Sark had to say. It was just, you know, you game plan, and you go in with the plan, and they had a really good rush unit, and they had an excellent guy coming off the edge blocking the kick. He didn't rush, yeah. you know. you got to ask Dana why they didn't rush him. You know, we, had, we haven't faked a field goal in three years, so, uh, but he didn't rush, and uh, they played the play, and, you know, Burt makes the first guy miss, but but at that point, it's uh, it's just kind of a, a dead dead play. So, you know, that's that's part of that's part of coaching. You know, we we can play a, a brand of football that's that's ultra conservative, um, but that's kind of not who this team is. We're we're an attack oriented team, and our players thrive in that, and they believe in those, and they believe in those calls. And um, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't have called it. You know. <laughs> But that's hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I don't get to play Monday morning quarterback. You know, I got to make those calls in about 10 seconds. And we, we knew going into the game we had liked that call in that situation. This time it didn't work. Yeah, I told Bucky this morning, that's not a time you can use the quote, hindsight is twenty twenty. Like, you could have told me before that play happened that Texas was going to run that play, and I would have told you that was dumb as hell. Uh, that, that's foresight is twenty twenty, right? You do that type of stuff when you need to flip the momentum in your favor. You had the momentum. Instead, you flipped it in Houston's favor. And look, Houston has the worst fourth down defense in college football. That's why I said on Friday, like, hey, if you get fourth and two, fourth and three in their side of the field, just keep the offense on the field and go because they're probably not going to be able to stop it. So if you wanted to go for it there, I wouldn't have loved it because it was fourth and six. But okay, Quinn Ewers is off to a red hot start. The receivers are getting open. Like everything Texas was doing offensively to that point was working fine if you want to have some balls and you're like now nah, we want a touchdown on this drive we don't want to settle for three okay whatever that's better than that but your punter throwing it to your kicker on fourth and six that's the decision in that spot that ain't a hindsight is 2020 that's a anybody would have told you that that's a bad decision going into it coach i think sark says these some of these things at times without really thinking it through like his whole uh, the dinosaurs didn't adapt, so they, they weren't able to survive comment from the last couple of years. He kept repeating that. He's even said it a couple of times this last offseason. I asked him about it at Pick 12 Media Days. I'm like, didn't the 
asteroids hitting the earth have something to do with that he's like well somebody survived i'm like okay so be more like the bacteria huh it's like no hindsight is not 2020 right there you're absolutely right about that bk had the foresight to understand houston sucks on fourth downs you had been good so far in that game on fourth downs and fourth and six is entirely too much distance that's burt auburn to pick up that first down so either kick the field goal or get your offense out there which had been manhandling this Houston defense up to that point in the game. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I just his awful decision. It doesn't excuse the next two and a half quarters. Like I just I don't understand how Texas couldn't do anything right the rest of the game. I mean, Quinn Ewers in the first half was 16 of 17 for 170 yards and two touchdowns. It was damn near a perfect half for him. In the second half, this is Quinn and Malik combined because obviously Malik Murphy finished the game at quarterback. Texas was 9 of 15 for 49 yards. And it looked like Sark was getting paid by the screen, right? He just, like, kept calling screen after screen. And, you know, some of those were working in the first half. I'm not sitting here saying they shouldn't have called any of them. But, you know, what else was working? The downfield passing attack. Think of the Xavier Worthy touchdown. You think of the A.D. Mitchell touchdown. You think of the J.T. Sanders catch pretty deep over the middle. Like, uh, where was that? just felt like more breaks, that's two games in a row where the coach who's all about all gas, no breaks. It just it felt like they were tapping on the brakes and playing more not to lose instead of trying to win. And Sark said it after the game. They didn't have that killer instinct. I mean, no, they didn't. The coaches didn't have it. The players didn't have it. This is a game that should have been put away early. And instead, Texas couldn't do it until the last minute of the game. Yeah, it's problematic, and unfortunately, uh, the all the optimism that we had just a couple of weeks ago about this football program has uh, has vanished pretty quickly. Part of that is the injury at quarterback, but part of that is uh, seeing some pretty major flaws exposed over these last couple of games. And even if Texas is able to run the table, which, by the way, does not feel like nearly as much of a certainty as it did even four days ago with what Kansas State is now doing offensively, and they've apparently... <laughs> first uh, program in a long time to find a QB rotation that is not only uh, simpatico, but is actually working really well right now. That Kansas State game has all of a sudden gone from one that you feel pretty good about to one that is extremely dangerous. And oh, by the way, Ohio State, I guess we shouldn't be shocked by this because Matt Campbell is a good coach when it's all said and done. They started to figure some things out too. So that game in Ames is becoming a little bit trickier as well especially if you are making bad decisions as coaches with regards to the plays that you're calling, but also guys who are in position to make plays not only aren't doing so or looking really bad in the process too. I have no idea what to expect from Texas the rest of the way because I don't know what Malik Murphy is. Like, I don't like the other stuff. Texas clearly has some things they need to fix, and that's two subpar defensive performances in a row, and it feels like the defense has regressed, but – I would still give PK the benefit of the doubt. I would still give this defense the benefit of the doubt that they're not going to play that poorly every single Saturday. But without Quinn Ewers, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Malik Murphy is. He was awesome in the spring game. You said it. He was a highly touted recruit, helped lead his team to a state championship in high school. Uh, The guy had offers from everywhere. And hell, after the spring game, there were major programs trying to get Murphy to enter the portal to go be their quarterback. So, like, he's got something to him, but... We just we haven't seen it, and what we saw on Saturday wasn't good. Now, that's a tough spot to be inserted in on the road. Uh, everything at that point was going against Texas, and just it was, you know, that's a tough spot for anybody to have to come into a football game like that, but uh, like they, could they lose to BYU this week? I don't know. They're big favorites, but if Malik Murphy's not very good, then I don't know. 
Could they lose to K-State? Hell, like you said, maybe even if Quinn was playing, they could lose to K-State because K-State's really good. Uh, and they were picked to finish second in this conference this year, and it feels like they've finally started to figure some things out up there. Uh, but with Malik, like, I, I just, I don't know. So that's where it's at right now. Like, Texas is the top-ranked one-loss team in college football. They're number seven in the country. They still have all of their goals ahead of them. The CFP could still happen for this team right now, but you're talking about a quarterback who's going to miss a couple, if not a few games, and some other issues with this team right now. Not to sit here and say the schedule's really tough, but there are enough teams on Texas's schedule that could uh, make Texas slip up if Malik ain't the guy or some other issues don't get corrected with this football team. The Quinn Ewers injury is such a strange one because we all assumed after we see Malik warming up on the sidelines on the TV broadcast and then ultimately coming into the game that he hurt himself on that big collision uh, just before Texas was able to score a touchdown where you thought that uh, he had tried to stay up to pick up the first down and initiated contact that actually hurt the Houston defender, but it was a big collision. But it was Quinn turning into that collision with his left shoulder, which is uh, go, or goes with the nucleus rule, never uh, never punch with your throwing hand, right? <laughs> so he, uh, he takes the collision with his left shoulder, so you assume that it's a left shoulder injury. Then at the end of the game, He's in a sling, but his, it's his right arm that's in a sling. And so after the game, Steve Sarkeesian said he initially hurt himself on a sack that happened in the third quarter. And I've gone back and watched that sack several times. It seems like a fairly innocuous play just in terms of how Quinn fell. That's why AC joints are very tricky. It doesn't take a whole lot to get that to pop out of place, especially if you've dealt with other shoulder injuries there in the past. And unfortunately, there's just a lot of instability in the shoulder until that air conditioning joint, as you called it, uh, is able to heal up. And but, but the other strange thing about watching Quinn go back to the locker room after the game, there was a noticeable limp as well. So I, I don't know if that's the result of him being in so much pain in his shoulder that he was limping off the field, or maybe there is uh, some other issue that he's dealing with at the same time as well. Regardless, hope that he can heal up as quickly as possible. You obviously don't want to put him back out there until that shoulder is good enough for him to throw the ball 30-plus times if need be. And it's just an unfortunate break for a uh, Longhorn football team that needs uh, needs some more things to go their way right now on top of uh, obviously playing a little bit better, too, on both sides of the ball uh, for extended stretches. It wasn't a crip walk from Quinn Ewers? I don't think so. Hmm. I'll ask him next time I see him, see what was going on. I'll ask Ice Cube. Yeah, there you go. All right, before we get more into the defense, because there's plenty to get into there, uh, some more love to some more of our sponsors. Trey, how about a word for Relax the Back? Oh, Relax the Back. Thank you so much for helping me to get through my latest lower back issue. It was a result of me just sleeping wrong. I woke up with a sore back, but thankfully, as a result of acquiring numerous massage tools from Relax the Back over the years and getting to sit in this very comfortable chair that I'm in right now that includes a lot of lumbar support, my back is feeling good once again. I cannot recommend them enough. I've been a customer for somewhere around 15 years at this point, and I encourage you to check Relax the Back out as well. If you are dealing with chronic back issues, first you can go to relaxtheback.com to see all the different types of products that they offer up. It's everything from massage tools to furniture. Got those stand-up desks that I'm still looking for. And they can also help hook you up with other things as well. I think they may even sell mattresses in there at this point, 
too. Uh, go to relaxtheback.com to find out uh, all the different stuff that they'll sell you. And also the location nearest you in Central Texas, Relax the Back and relaxtheback.com. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Shout out to them and shout out to our friends at Olipop as well. Their slogan, a new kind of soda. That's exactly what Olipop is. You get that same great soda taste, but this stuff is actually good for you. Inside the can, a blend of seven unique botanicals, plant fibers, and prebiotics. You're getting nine grams of fiber every time you drink Olipop. Only two to five grams of sugar, hardly any calories, and the flavor is absolutely there. They've got the classic soda flavors like cola, root beer, and lemon lime. They've got grape. They've got cherry cola, cream soda, tropical punch, tons of great flavors, a good ginger ale as well. I'm telling you, man, Olipop has changed the game. It tastes just like the soda you grew up sipping but with the added benefits of microbiome and digestive health support. I hate being healthy. Y'all know that, but I love Olipop. They found a way to make something healthy that actually tastes good. That's a freaking miracle. I feel like we need Al Michaels asking me if I believe in miracles. Olipop changed my life, can change yours too. Pick it up, Target, H-E-B, Walmart, Costco, Whole Foods, wherever you get your groceries, get you some Olipop. Trey, this Texas defense, man, we've touched on it a little bit, but maybe a deeper dive right now. Um, well, Donovan Smith, I mean, thank God we don't have to see that dude again. I, I don't know <laughs> if he has any eligibility after this year. I'm terrified that he's going to transfer to an SEC school, and we're going to have to see that guy somehow, some way. I mean, that guy was awesome last year for Texas Tech in their win over Texas, and, well, he had two turnovers, which proved costly, but he had a career day throwing the football, a career-high 378 passing yards for Donovan Smith. That guy saves his best for the Longhorns, and he nearly willed his team to a victory on Saturday. But this Texas defense, namely the secondary, I mean, what the hell is going on? That group is regressing, miscommunications over and over again, bad in-game adjustments, mismanagement of personnel. I mean, it's an E all of the above situation when you're talking about the problems with texas especially on the back end of the defense they got to figure some stuff out they got to get some dudes back but shoot even then the guys who are on the field they they should be playing better than they are ryan watts helps jalen catalan obviously helps i don't know did did jaron thompson just get benched on saturday because there was a point where i felt like we weren't seeing him anymore Derek williams was okay at first he got torched once or twice too but i felt like there was a point where we were no longer seeing him on the field as well whatever the answer is bk to help this secondary out and specifically the safety position keaton crawford ain't it that guy should not be seeing the field anymore i I don't care if you're trying a younger guy who's completely unproven at this point keaton crawford is an outright liability when he's on the field and it was very clear at a certain point that houston wasn't trying to run the football anymore So if he has any value, it's coming downhill to help stop the run. But all the Texas safeties are decent at that. What they need to get better at is covering their man. And sometimes it's in zone coverage where guys aren't being passed off correctly. And sometimes it's just straight man coverage where they're falling behind their guy who is three to four steps ahead and has a huge chunk of yardage he's able to pick up. Like Michael Taff was obviously, uh, or not obviously, Michael Taff was arguably your best safety on Saturday. But he even had a couple of coverage busts, one of which led to a touchdown. Now, he was pointing to, I couldn't ter- tell if it was Terrence Brooks or Keaton Crawford there. It looked like there was a handoff issue. But ultimately, that responsibility falls on Michael Taft. He was dropping deep, and that guy went towards his zone. 
So uh, there, there just aren't any obvious answers right now other than some guys getting healthy as to what the secondary can possibly do. How are the safeties so bad? Man? I don't get it. And I, I don't get the rotation, right? Like Derek Williams, it felt like he had played his way into a starting spot. And like you said, there were just so many moments on Saturday where he wasn't even on the field. Like, yeah, Taff and Crawford and Jaron Thompson had rough days. I mean, all three of them. And I know Taff had the interception. Dude, you and I could have had that pick. It was an overthrown right. ball. Taff was just standing there out of position. Like, he wasn't close to the receiver. I assume he should have been closer to the receiver. But, you know, because he was where he was and Donovan Smith overshot his target, then Taff was able to get the INT. Thank you for catching it, Michael Taff. We appreciate that. But, yeah, those three guys, I mean, Taff, which maybe you expect that from him because he's a former PWO. But Jaron Thompson, who's had good moments, as a long and he's horn. a multi-year starter, too, by the way. That was like one of the guys that most Texas fans felt good about on this defense yeah. going into the year. And he's like he's regressed. And then Keaton Crawford, like you said, I mean, hell, I thought Chris Boyd got burned a lot. <sighs> Chris Boyd looks like a lockdown corner compared to what uh, Keaton Crawford is doing on the back end. Crawford's a great special teams player. He's got a role on this team. But I agree with you. He, he cannot be in there in important snaps defensively because he is just not it right now. So... Yeah, I mean, the safety play is so, so bad. How How is that possible at Texas that those guys just looked as lost as they did really for the entirety of that game on Saturday? Yeah, you look at recruiting and you look at positions of depth versus positions that don't have a ton of depth. Safety is one of those positions that you point to that you're ranking as uh, maybe the three worst in terms of depth. Linebackers also on that list as well, but... Uh, there has to be something that you can do. I don't know if, well, you probably don't consider this because he plays an important role at nickel, and they didn't even want to play Jade Barron on Saturday, but they were forced to. I think I saw you tweet this out, forced to, uh, in case of emergency, break glass mm-hmm. on using Jade Barron in that game. But they were scrambling just to find something to help out, and he came in and he played well as he always does. But guess what? He's not going to be an option next year, most likely. That guy... Uh, likely will be going to the NFL, and he probably should be going to the NFL too. You need to figure it out, and you can do so uh, recruiting high school athletes, of course, which is what they've done with Derek Williams. They probably need to go to the transfer portal and try and find uh, somebody who does a better job at the safety position. Cornerbacks is a different thing. I don't have as big of an issue with the cornerbacks. I know Terrence Brooks took a lot of criticism, and he definitely uh, he was definitely three steps behind uh, the uh, out route that served as one of Houston's touchdowns. I want to say it was a four or five yard touchdown uh, throw and catch. That was a bad moment for him, but I don't I don't think he was as bad as some other people were suggesting. He had a missed tackle on what looked like it was a uh, Michael Taft coverage that turned into a big game. I think I think it was that game where Anthony Hill had the uh, the roughing penalty at the end of the play on the sideline. But uh, the problem is not the cornerbacks nearly as much as it is the safeties right now. Yeah, you're, you're, you're being nicer to Terrence Brooks than you should. If Donovan Smith is a little more accurate, I think there's you know two more touchdowns Terrence Brooks' way. The, That's fair. the only good play he made was getting his helmet ripped off by Matthew Golden on the one penalty that was called on Houston that entire day. But, yeah, no, it's... It was bad. And the miscommunications, you brought it up earlier with Taft just pointing at people. Like, that's that's two in a row. And with OU yeah. in a super up-tempo that they run, like, okay. Like, it still shouldn't happen, but you understand it a little bit. But against Houston, just the amount of guys that were out of position, and I don't know, who knows if they even were miscommunications. They could have just been guys just being awful 
at their jobs and not doing their jobs, which caused all of those guys to get wide open. But man and zone. Like, it's not like PK called the same play over and over again. Now, he should have adjusted more and tried some other things than what he actually did, but it was man or zone. Like, the strategy for Houston was simple. Like, the receivers are like, oh, if they're in man, I'm just going to rub and then separate. And if they're in zone, it's like, well, these guys don't know how to play zone. There's so much space here. I'm just going to settle in the middle of this zone, and Donovan Smith's going to find me because he's good enough to do that. Like, man and zone. It was just all. Houston was able to do whatever it wanted, and the pass rush wasn't really there. A lot of it was Houston was getting the ball out of Donovan Smith's hands quickly, but still, Texas doesn't have any threat off the edge right now. And Ethan Burke is hurt, too. Sark said earlier today that that's a week-to-week issue, so... Ethan Burke, who at times has been the best edge on this team, you know, that's saying not a whole lot. Stop comparing that guy to Max Crosby, please. Uh, at times he's been the you know the best edge on this team. He's going to be out. So you know, Finkley and Sorrell. Sorry, Mister Sorrell, if you're watching, uh, and and you know Anthony Hill, even like they're just not getting any sort of consistency off the edge. So it was it was just a collective, you know, toilet performance by texas they dropped a deuce for two and a half quarters on saturday and thank thankfully once again they uh they had those two takeaways which were donovan smith mistakes and they were able to uh to do that but my god this defense like how, how do you go from the group that we saw early in the year to what we've seen the last two games it's it's hard to make it make sense well, there are a couple of coaches who should be under the microscope right now, BK, specifically Blake Gideon, who's the safeties coach, and then Terry Joseph, who is the defensive passing game coordinator. Like those two guys need to be answering some serious questions today as to what went wrong and what they're planning on doing to fix it. Yeah. Because this has been an ongoing issue now. And I realize that this supersedes this current regime, but for a school that once fancied itself as DBU, you are very far from that right now. Oh Even God. if you still send the occasional guy from this program to the league as a safety or a nickelback or maybe even a cornerback, uh, as a unit, you have sucked for far too long now. And that's one of those areas where Texas is really good at in that heyday of the 2000s where they were winning 10-plus games a year. Um, if you're going to get back to that point, that Part of the defense needs to improve significantly. Agreed. A thousand percent. Yeah. First four Houston drives, 15 plays for 28 yards. After that, 52 plays for 369 yards. They averaged 7.1 yards per play over the last two and a half quarters. Uh, the Texas defense, just an ugly performance in that secondary. Like you said, they've got to be better. We were talking about Houston maybe being the weakest team that Texas had on its schedule in the second half. And they gave Texas all sorts of fits. So we'll see. The good news is you brought up BYU's offense earlier. Um, they are dead last in the conference in total offense. They are 11th out of 14 teams in scoring offense. You get that game at home. So you'd like for this to be a get-right type of situation for the defense, but BYU is not a bad football team. They're 5-2. and two. They just beat up on Texas Tech pretty good on Saturday night in Provo. Like You, you can't just assume a win, but hopefully – hopefully Texas's defense is able to look a little bit more like the first half of the season than they've had the last couple of weeks. And, hell, maybe we got lied to, man. Let's not forget, Texas played three straight backup quarterbacks yeah. after the Alabama game. Like, Wyoming's backup. Baylor didn't have Blake Shapin. Kansas didn't have Jalen Daniels. Like, 
Texas looked great defensively in those three games. Maybe it has to do with the fact that uh, those three teams didn't have their starting quarterback. So, hey, you play who's on your schedule. It's not like you know nothing Texas could do there. They took care of business in those games, thankfully. But the last two weeks, or the last two games and the last three weeks uh, against starting quarterbacks, this defense has not been the same. No, and BYU, look, they you're going to hear it a lot this week. This offense is not very good. If they do anything well right now, it's run the football. Keaton Slovis was very pedestrian in their win over Texas Tech on Saturday. What BYU did well, though, in that game is forced turnovers. Now, I realize Texas Tech is on their third-string quarterback at this point with Jake Strong, but he had three interceptions, and that gave BYU... Uh, some easier field position to work with that in some cases led to touchdowns and other cases led to field goals. But Malik Murphy or Arch Manning, whoever the guy is, has to protect the football. You do not need to be a game breaker in this game. You need to be a game pause manager to help this football team win. Lean heavily on this rushing attack. Let Jonathan Brooks do his thing. Let CJ Baxter do his thing. Throw a little bit more red cat out there if you really want to. Uh, but these Texas quarterbacks have to protect the football on Saturday to avoid what would be a pretty pretty catastrophic upset for this program. A gay manager? Game pause manager. A game pause manager. Yes. Okay. Yeah, classic football term. A game pause manager there. Game, one Mississippi, two Mississippi manager. <laughs> uh, haven't heard that one either. Quick word for Great Blue Heron Furniture before we get to where are we at in society. Brought to you by Pest Wranglers. But some love to GreatBlueHeronFurniture.com. These guys are awesome. If you're looking for a new couch, a new recliner, somewhere to sit and watch all the football and baseball and basketball and hockey and soccer and whatever sport you're watching, uh, go to GreatBlueHeronFurniture.com. They've got the nicest furniture that you can find. This stuff looks amazing. It is comfortable to sit in and it is built to last four decades. I am telling you, you cannot, you will not find more stylish, more comfortable, and more well-built furniture anywhere in the world. Don't go to that Swedish place with the meatballs and the blue and yellow crap. Now go to greatblueheronfurniture.com. They'll deliver the piece right to your door as well. And if you use the promo code HOOKEM, you're going to get 15% off your purchase. That's right, 15% off if you type in HOOKEM. Over there at greatblueheronfurniture.com. You can just click the link in the video description below if you're watching us on YouTube. It will take you right to our Texas Sports Unfiltered collection. Thank you to our friends at Great Blue Heron Furniture for sponsoring us. Quick text to get to on the code of text line, 512-222-9328. Hair of the Dog says the Houston Cougars just completed another crossing route. Yeah, having nightmares about that. Yeah, I mean, that's going to turn into the uh, twists and stunts that we saw every defensive line perform on the Texas offensive line a few years ago with a ton of success. Like, coaches just need to look at that game film. And by the way, Oklahoma was doing a lot of the same thing and see that uh, we're completely confused in the middle of the field right now. And so they should be, uh, every time you're dropping back to pass, or maybe not every time, but a lot when you're dropping back to pass, uh, you should have crossers over the middle of the field because clearly this defense doesn't know what the hell they're doing in that situation. No kidding. All right, live or recorded for Pest Wranglers today? Let's go recorded. Here we go.
Pest wranglers, pest wranglers, pest wranglers. What are you doing? I'm making a silly commercial like other companies so people will remember our name. But we're not like other companies. Anyone can see that from our five-star reviews. But how will people remember pest wranglers? Well, once they try us, they'll never forget that we are the most effective, reliable, and affordable pest control company. I guess you're right. Pest wranglers is the best at pest control, wildlife management, termite pest control. Pest wranglers, pest wranglers, pest wranglers. What are you doing? Hey, it couldn't hurt. Pest wranglers, 512-670-7808 or find us on the web at pestwranglers.com. Where are we at in society today? Right, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. They do sponsor Where Are We At in Society. It is your daily look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, we'll bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. But sadly, today is not that day. PK, are you a fan of buttered bread? And I am not speaking facetiously here. Oh, yeah. Oh, not speaking facetiously here. Uh, yeah, I like buttered bread. What do you mean? Like bread? You spread some butter on it? Is that what you're talking about? Exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. who doesn't like buttered bread? Yeah, buttered bread is it's good. It's delicious. Yeah. Not great for you, but it's delicious. Well... It's got two of the groups in the food pyramid. You got the bread, which is the biggest one at the bottom, and it's got the butter, which is the top. You know, you're checking your boxes there. It's good for you. That's right. There, there. Uh, butter has res- uh, seen a resurgence in recent years as not being as bad for you as uh, it was once framed as. Now, it suggests that there are better fat sources if uh, you're going dairy or otherwise. But, yes, buttered bread is long been a staple in the American and plenty of other diets as well. And according to research, new research, the way you butter your bread says a lot about your personality. <laughs> and there's nine different ways to butter one's bread, which is news to me. I didn't realize there were nine ways to butter your bread. What? Yeah, nine ways. So how? So I guess as we get going here, how do you butter your bread? Hmm. Well, that expression can be used in a myriad of ways. So I'm not entirely sure how to answer that question. But if we are talking about food and food only, I don't know. I thought there's only one way. Like you get the bread, you you get the knife, you cut the knife, you cut the butter. Then you spread the butter on the bread, no? Yeah, but it's all about how you spread the butter on the bread. Apparently, there are some real freak shows out there because some of the different ways they describe, I don't understand. It's like, are you even trying to butter the bread or are you just putting a slab of butter on the bread? Yeah, I don't know how to answer that question because I only feel like there's one way to do this. All right, well, let's start with way number one, the glider. Gliders... Hardly know. Glide your knife over the toast for an even spread. I feel like if I am defined by any method here amongst the nine, it is the glider style. Because I want a uniform spread of the butter over my bread. Yeah, that's good. So that's what you are, too. You're a glider. Well, let's hear the rest of them. About 50% use this method, by the way. So total coverage. This is a total heathen that is doing that is buttering their bread this way. Oh, you know what? I can actually show you the pictures here. So there let me go. let me get you the pictures. This will make this much easier. Full coverage, not the Texas Secondary's method of spreading butter on bread. Oof. Oh. All right. 
right. Half coverage, it wouldn't work. There we go. Total coverage. So these psychopaths are uh, putting the butter everywhere, including on top of the crust. Okay, that's a lot of butter. That's that's not great for you. Well, it's like, what are you doing there? Like, where are you going to be gripping the bread? You just want butter all over your fingers? Very fair question. Oh. The cover. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the groups of people that just isn't even trying. They are just putting large amounts of butter on sides of the bread. That's just lazy. That's you're so hungry that you don't care where the butter is or whether or not you get butter in every bite. You just want bread and butter, and you're just taking giant bites because you know there's going to be some butter in each one. Now, sometimes you have no choice. Sometimes you haven't taken the butter out soon enough, mm. and so the, the butter is too hard, and therefore you are just having to, to put pats of butter on different parts of the toast. Yeah, true, true, true. To get it close. How about this insane person, the double cider? Going butter on both sides of the bread. No, Yeah, like you said earlier, where do you hold it? Yeah, you're just asking for a lot of butter. on, And, and then there's this insanity. I don't know where they're finding these people. The tear and spread? I have seen this before. Is it, That's where you like you rip a piece of bread and then you butter the little piece and then you eat the piece and then you do it again with the ne- next piece of bread? Tear the piece, butter the piece, yeah. eat the piece. I've seen that before. What you just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, yeah. that's more common than you think. I think. The curler. What's different about that one? If you have a gadget to shape your butter spread, you're a curler. The tool makes it easy to spread the butter, which pleases them and lets them believe their way is the best. I don't quite understand that one either. Curler, hardly know her. Oh, wait a second. Maybe this is me, the barely there butterer, where you take the tiniest amount of butter and spread it over the toast. Ah, then it's just bread. That ain't good. It's slightly buttered toast. Ah, that's just bread that's hot and slightly <laughs> crunchy. And then the do you want toast with your spread butterer. <laughs> oh, my that, God. That's what I want my bagels to look like, dude. With cream cheese, not with butter. Like I want, yeah, I want share, share of cream cheese. Yep. That's completely understandable. Not with butter. I though. want a mound of cream cheese on every bagel that I eat. But uh, yeah, with butter. Right, so there you go. There's nine ways to butter your bread. And uh, what you, what'd you so say we'll you are? Back. You're a, you're a grinder or you're on grinder? Is that what you're you're doing with your butter? No, you're bread? the grinder oh. or the glider. Excuse me. Glider. Out of two thousand adults polled, fifty percent claim to use this method. And according to research, these people tend to be easygoing and calm in nature. I think you're pretty easygoing and calm in nature. I don't know about myself for that one. No. All right. Well, let's go down to the barely there butterer, which I also said I might be. Yeah. Barely there people want to spend as little time on breakfast as possible. They have things to do and they want to get outside. They are outdoorsy and go-getters and like to live in the moment. They're often satisfied with what they've accomplished, and people may find it hard to keep up with them. Does that feel like you? Of course, these people also could simply be health conscious. There we go. I was about to say, none of that sounds like me. They could simply be health conscious and use minimal amounts of butter for dietary reasons. That's it right there. Yep, that checks out. Did it say what second? You said gliders number one at 50%. Did it like rank the rest of these, or it was all just a mix of... The other 50%. Yeah, n- number two was the uh, total coverage, the insane person who's putting it all over the crust, too. Mm-hmm. 
this group of noshers is thought to be very methodical and pre- precise. No, they're not. Often making them the organized ones in their friends group. They're both the ones who plan activities months in advance. That's what you mean. That age. Oh, no, not not that one. Ooh. That's the one. <laughs> How you butter, butter your bread as to whether or not you have AIDS. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. That's awesome. Good find there. Yep, I'm a glider. I'm a glider. It's good to know. I'm a normal, civilized person. Glider on grinder. No, that's not it. I'm I'm leaving on that note. We can ask our guy Jeff Barker of CBS Austin fame what uh, what he is. Did you catch any of that stuff, Jeff? So we're we're basically just talking about like how we like butter our toast, basically. Yeah, there are nine different ways to butter your toast. Okay, I think I'm the one. The uh, would you like some toast with your butter? I think yeah. I'm that one. Mm. What does that say about me besides that I, I'm a fat ass? You also, no, you also, barely there is you're not a fat ass. Barely oh. there means it's, it's one of a couple of things. You're either health conscious and you're using minimal amounts of butter for dietary reasons. Is that you? I don't, I don't I mean, definitely not by design. No, get your okay. get the you, other option get your for ears barely checked. there butterers. Get your ears checked, Trey. He said he puts the butter all over the toast, not barely there. Oh, my apologies. Yeah, yeah. No, I was I was saying <clears throat> I'm the one that's they there's so much on there that they say, Would you like some uh some toast with your butter? Okay, hold or on. Or would you like some bagel with your, your cream cheese? Yeah. Okay, so you're you're uh you're this one right here. Do you yep. want toast with your spread butter? <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be me. All right, well in that case He's fat. <laughs> I wouldn't describe him as fat. You love to indulge whenever you can, enjoying things like uh, like enjoying the things that you like and not ever holding back. Putting excessive amounts of butter on toast reflects the generally very happy disposition of this person and how they see the best in everything in life. Happiness and an open mind are big characteristics for this group of people. So parties or go-togethers with these Cheerful gluttons are guaranteed good times. Are you a guaranteed good time, Jeff? I, I think so, but I don't know, uh, Trey. I, I don't. I don't know if uh, over the last couple of shows anybody would say that I'm like overly positive like that, though. You well, know? that's because I, I pull you down into the dark hole with which I reside. Well, I I don't I don't really fight you on the way down there. So. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, guys. Trey and Jeff Barker coming up from one to three. Tristan Nicholson at two today. Tristan Nicholson at two. Stay tuned for that. And uh, and lots of fun ahead over the next hour before that point. Great show, BK. Same to you. Excited to listen. See you later, BK. See y'all.